This is Coda Radio, episode 80, for December 16th, 2013. You're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Oh, boy. Mickey. Mickey. Yes. Mickey's back, baby. You know, I was wondering if you were going to do Mickey, because I was going to picture him like in the Santa Claus Mickey, you know, like the, the classic. It's the season. Right. Mickey's Mickey's all over the Santa Claus outfit, and he he rocks that Santa Claus outfit. And I have seen other cartoon characters attempt to pull it off. You know what? I'm, I'm looking at you, Bugs Bunny. Not as good. Mm-hmm. Nobody does it like Mickey does it. And he's got a couple of Christmas movies on top of that. You know, Mickey is just, you know, he's really the everyman we've been looking for. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Let's give that a ding. Well, how old are Mr. Dominic? How's the uh, East Coast today? Uh, well, the East Coast is, you know, sad and miserable as it always is. No snow? You know, we had a winter wonderland this weekend that was washed away in less than 36 hours. Yeah, so here in Washington, it got unusually cold, like down in the low 20s, Fahrenheit, obviously. Right. And uh, no snow, no nothing. And then as soon as it warms up, we get rain. So I, I kind of I get chipped every single year on that. And my kids, they love snow. And I think it's only snowed like once in their whole life here. It's, it's horrible. Um, but that's not why we're gathered here today. No, no. In fact, today is a big day for Coda Radio. We're recording two episodes back to back this week. And uh, later what? on. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Yeah. Don't worry. I've assembled a crack team of mumble experts that will join us in the second episode for a call-in episode. Mm-hmm. Luigi. Mario. Wario. Oh, Wario too. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, Princess Peach. <laughs> but she's just going to float away, Mario right, yeah. 2 style. But that was, she was my, my guilty pleasure back in the day. I did always play Princess Peach. I mean, so that's just a tactical you, advantage. Yeah, so you were just cheating, basically. Yeah, but yeah. whenever my bros came over, I'd play Luigi. because I'd pretend like I played Luigi because of his good jump. But in reality, I always played the princess when they weren't around. Chris, you're the princess in my heart, and I think that's what's important here. Inappropriate? Okay. All right, well, should we uh, jump into some of our feedback this week? What do you think? I guess I'm contractually obligated to. Reed writes in, and uh, he uh, well, he wanted to touch on two important topics from last week's episode, caffeine and UI testing. He says, hey, guys, most importantly, each morning I cook up a Cafe Baristo Espresso in my area, mix that up with some hot milk, and you have yourself a tasty, cost-effective caffeine jolt. To get you through the day, if something extra in the af- if you need a little something extra in the afternoon, I have myself a manly set of teas, Earl Grey, hot. He says, "Of course, why? Of course." Computer, what happened? Uh, he says, "For UI testing, check out Huxley. I've never used it, but I've heard in an interview with a guy from Instagram and Facebook that they work on it. He says it's an open source pr- uh, project, and it does exactly what Michael is looking for. First, of course, he links us the uh, the uh, the coffee stuff, but then later he gives us in here the." Uh, the uh, GitHub repo for it, and it actually looks like it's from an employee at Facebook. 
that is publishing this to GitHub, and it says Huxley is a set of test systems for catching visual regressions in web applications. It watches you browse, takes a screenshot, and tells you when they change, which is interesting because I think um, Heaven's Revenge is going to chat with us a little bit in the second show about how uh, he can use pixel differentials to track changes too. So this is essentially kind of what Facebook uses for some of their testing. This is very interesting. I'm going to have to look into this. I wonder how this could be translated into non-web-based platforms. Isn't it funny that it's from Facebook and the first sentence in the description of it is, watches you browse, takes screenshots, tells you when they change. (laughs) I mean, you feel like this might be something they normally do? (laughs) You know, it came out that uh, on Facebook, they they even record what you type and never submit. Like, so if you type something in the status box and then delete it, they record that. That's kind of that's, creepy, right? That's fantastic. They want to know why. They want to know what content you're not publishing so they can encourage you to publish it. Um, but he says that UI tests are hard to write and they're usually fragile, so that's what they were trying to solve with this thing. I think that's actually pretty cool. So it might be worth checking out if you're already working on a web app. But yeah, like Mr. Dominic says, it'd be great if you could somehow submit, change that to work on mobile apps and desktop apps too. Yeah, well, just for native. And Heaven's Revenge is already throwing down in the chat room, throwing down the gauntlet at Facebook. He says his version's better, so wow. I look forward to hearing this. There you go. There you All go. Right. All right. Now, on the coffee thing, um, yeah, man, if, if you're putting milk in your coffee, you have a problem. Sorry. Mm. you got to drink a black. Oh, really? You? Oh, really? Well, black, no sugar, no nothing. Wow, that's, that seems a little intense. I don't know. I slip a little vanilla hemp milk in mine sometimes. Don't hate. <sighs> don't hate. So much hate. Let's move on. Uh, I know. Okay. You just jar jarred coffee. You know my K cup machine is broken. I told you that, right? Good. Get a French press. I know. I think I'm going to. Uh, So Jim wrote in. He said, uh, "Hi, Michael and Chris. Since you asked in the show and didn't mention it, we use Jira for bug tracking. We actually use Jira for more than bug tracking. We also use uh, Greenhopper, uh, which is now Jira Agile, um, and uh, for tracking and and managing not only bugs but also feature development." It works pretty well for us, but we haven't invested a lot into it. We have recently experienced some performance issues with it, but it's not yet clear if that's from a limitation of the system or just how we're using it. We're fairly we're a fairly large company of 5,000 employees, but of course not all devs, about 200 devs or so. So our use case may be on some smaller shops. Jira has a cloud offering uh, one can use, so they'll host it for you. But as far as I know, if one is willing to run one's own Jira server, you can download and install the system locally for free. Jira Agile uh, and the Greenhopper plugin may not be free. I don't know. But he goes on to say that uh, he thought he'd pass it because he passed it along so we could read on air because he thinks this might be something a lot of people could use. So Jira, J, I'm probably saying it wrong. It's J-I-R. No, no, it's Jira. Okay. Um, oh, you've heard of it. Okay. Jira, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little more enterprisey. I do oh, like Oh, 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 from Alassian. From Alassian, yeah. Yeah, um, I have fact, heard I of use this. a lot of their stuff, HipChat, yeah. uh, a few other things. Yep, yep. To be honest, the reason I, I ended up leaving Jira, but I, I may well end up going back uh, just because their pricing structure is a little more reasonable than mm. GitHub. Mm-hmm. Though, again, we're talking very small amounts of money compared to paying developers. So Yeah, I mean, at the end of the last week's episode, you kind of just... I wonder yeah. how you feel about it now. Do you think it's just worth sticking out with GitHub? I, I think for the immediate term, I'm going to stick with GitHub. The, the biggest issue with GitHub, um, other than the whole money thing, actually sometimes they have outages, which are slightly annoying. But again, if you're doing Git right, the the remote being down shouldn't matter in most cases. Unless you build an app that depends on GitHub being up. But I see what you're saying. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We got uh, another email from Donald. 
Well, I don't know if this is actually another one, but I think this is his first one, actually. And he writes in, Do you think that it'll soon be viable to develop applications on mobile devices, such as Android or iOS? Excluding the Surface, of course, because all intents and purposes, it's essentially a laptop. Obviously, there are already a few IDEs for Android. However, these are very restricted on what they can do. What do you think? Eventually, right? I mean, this is going to happen. Um, An old graybeard once told me that until a device can write the software for itself, it's not a true computer. You know, there are, I've seen people do some stuff on Android where they can already kind of do that. I just, I, I guess for me, it's a difference between, yes, you probably could do it, but why would you want to? Um, well, you know, if, right. Uh, let's, well, uh, I mean, maybe down the road, right? Uh, maybe yeah. you, okay, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I could tell you why. Uh, maybe somebody really wants to develop software, but can only afford a tablet. Yeah, that would be the reason, right? For people just getting in, or, or students, younger, maybe because you know schools kids, yeah. can buy can buy lots of tablets or whatever they buy. I would say the really the biggest barrier in the way of that is not even a keyboard, right? It's just, well, frankly, you know, performance issues on Android, and uh, no one's written the software for it. But also, you know, on the Apple side, Apple just doesn't want you to be able to do that. <laughs> well, there's also just certain amount of tasks that I think I still look at and I go, "How is this going to work in?" A small, constrained. Yeah, form I think factor. we're getting there, though, right? With the uh, 64-bit processor and the newest CPU iPad Air. Wise, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're getting to where performance, at least on the Apple side, isn't going to be much of an issue. It's just the will to actually but, okay, open that up. When you're writing, when you're writing code, picture your screen layout. I mean, don't you? T- don't aren't you using like every inch of screen real estate? Uh, I usually run my IDEs actually in full screen mode. Literally. Yeah. I don't, but I don't do the multi-window thing that I know a lot of developers do. Um, so, like for me, like I could never imagine editing on a screen smaller than twenty-seven inches. Oh no, I I've, I write software on a thirteen-inch screen all the time. I, I wonder if I see. I wonder if that is so. Maybe that so. Maybe maybe software development isn't one of those tasks that couldn't really scale down. I've always felt like, I mean, there's ways you can you can reshift the UI to make it work, but uh, it just it seems like certain kind of tasks require. I mean, and Hard. someone is in the chat room is right because there is that uh, about being able to do it on Android already. I have the app. It's I know I'm going to say this wrong. It's it's spelled A I D E. I don't know if they literally mean the word aid, um, but it's like an Android IDE. Yeah. But it just occurred to me that's probably what that stands for. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I guess so. I guess I, I guess I have to change my answer. The answer is yes, but I wouldn't want to. <laughs> Right, so on this uh, on an AIDE, it is a uh, Java and C plus plus. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, you can compile. Other than the case of 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 a student that or, or someone who just financially couldn't have two devices, I guess I don't understand why I would ever opt for this. And to be fair, I've done you know light scripting on an iPad. I've done SSH through an Android device and an iPad. Um, but again, it's pretty limited. I mean, it's possible, I, I, and it certainly will be more possible in the future. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon here. I, I don't know why I would want this. Hmm. And I think, this is, well, I think this is just people who would want to do this that don't need to financially are probably just trying to stay, see how much I can do on my tablet rather than a full um, yeah. station. I, I could be wrong, and maybe in two years, three years, I'll be eating my hat, and I'll be doing most of my dev on a Surface but What's your holdup? Is it the is it the touch UI and t- tapping out code? Is it the build time? Is no, I should be fair. Uh, the writer excluded the Surface because it's very PC like. It's not. 
My holdup is I don't currently have an Android device big enough or powerful enough to do it. Right, I have the new Nexus 7, but a 7-inch screen just isn't going to do it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, and then on the iPad side, yes, there are apps that kind of do it. There's even some that tie in with like cloud compiling services. Oh, okay. But Apple's got that crap pretty locked down. That's how. And, that's that's really though. If you combine some sort of backend compiling service, where you well, we talked about. Uh, remember, doc, not doc cloud, uh, cloud nine. Yeah. In the first like five weeks of the show. Yeah. That's probably where this is going to have to go, right? Yeah. Where the IDE is just a web front end, and the. Uh, you know, it's like, what is the, Microsoft has a buzz phrase they've been using at Microsoft Research, compiler as a service. Mm. This is where we're going. But I, again, I don't know about you, Chris. I like to compile locally. I like, I, I really don't, I, I don't see myself doing this on a mobile device anytime soon. Yeah, I'm not, uh, boy, I don't want to get all hippie, but I don't know if I, I would want so I guess I feel like the ability to create and build software is sort of uh, empowering. And when you hand that off, when you uh, – does that make sense? Like if you're – if I, uh, hmm. I guess if, if the device cannot create, produce, and build the code from end to end, it's not a full solution. If it depends on a third-party service where connectivity is required, uh, maybe a payment plan is required, uh, whatever – it doesn't feel like a complete solution. It feels like a half solution. You know what it is? Maybe I'm a little old school. I, I'm used to, like, you bought a computer, you did not have to pay to develop software. Right, because right? that's that's that what the machine the, does. That was part of the deal. Yeah, exactly. You, right, even my old-ass beige boxes I used to have, maybe you didn't have, I mean, okay, IDEs used to cost money, but you could you could load Vim, right, mm-hmm. or, or Vi, whatever. You didn't need to have, any, like you're saying, an internet connection, but hey, it, maybe I'm just being a little old school about this. I don't know. Because now that I think about it, I could see, mm. you know, certainly for a high school uh, yeah. programming class, handing kids a bunch of iPads. But why not hand them cheap HP laptops instead? It's negative in the freedom dimension. There's really kind of, I don't know, It's I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprisingly conflicted on this because to me, uh, it, it does feel like kind of another layer of, Locking things down, bolting right. the hood of the car closed, that kind of that kind of thing. And I, well, I already worry we're going so far down that path that we are going to have a society of people who have no idea how to actually operate the Unix. Yeah, yeah, it's like an episode of Star Trek where Captain Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down, and the whole society is run by some evil central computer, and so, none of them have an idea how to work it. I think we've conflated two issues, though. Right? There's the issue of Local development on a mobile device where the compiler is just like LLVM or GCC on the device or a compiler as a service, hashtag Microsoft buzzword. Right. Uh, I definitely think the first is less awful than the second. Yeah. I mean, even though I could see needing compiler as a service for something huge, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very nervous about you know, if someone came to me as a developer and didn't know how to just run GCC or Java C from the command line, right? To just compile without the tool. That's pretty. That's a scary future because that. Right. I mean, not. I mean, that really does sort of remove the power from the people and sort of centralizes right. who can even and, make and this software. I'm not suggesting. Just, I just want to hedge out some hate mail here. I'm not suggesting you should do that often. I'm just saying you should know that you can. Right. I mean, there's no. If you're using, you know, Qt develop there's no reason for you to drop the gcc on the command line and compile but you should know how to do it if you ever had to right yeah yeah oh i mean yes and especially because it gives you the freedom to move around see if you get locked into a system 
where you know you write all the code and has this amazing UI designer and it's so great and it's the best thing ever. And then when you when it's time to build, you have to submit to their build service. And when you don't have that, it's like it's like uh, it's like people who've learned to develop using like real basic and then they never learn anything more than mm-hmm. real basic. You know, they, yeah. when it comes time to actually develop and they don't have those tools outside of real basic, they're completely lost. I could see the same thing happening. And perhaps this was why it would not be good for schools is because you want to teach the students those those fundamentals. That way they can take that and and have the flexibility and freedom to move between different development environments. That's a that's yeah. a that's a form of that could be a form of IDE lock in like I, I, I just business. feel like we're a dying breed on this front though. Um, I, I I don't know why, but I feel like well, the economics and the technology yeah. of it make it so that it is easier to centralize power in terms of computing power, and it's cheaper to push out you know uh, lower end devices into the market, and that's you know also what the market wants. They don't want to spend a bunch of money on something they only use for a couple of years. So yeah. they're driving that demand as well. I, and, and then you get enough of the devices out there and they just kind of become the general computing platform. And that's, you know, like my kids, they're all, they've never used a computer. They're using touch devices. Uh, and that's, to them, to them I, I wonder, they, they show interest in the computer, but I wonder if at a certain point, they would like, you know, maybe when they're in their early teens, they'll look at the keyboard and mouse like, like I kind of look at the punch card. And they'll think, you know, they'll think that's, that's how you guys used to have to interact with your computer. Like, don't you just want to reach out and just touch that thing that's just right there? I mean, if you know where it's at, can't you just touch it? And they'll think, that, you know, all of this stuff where their device always has internet connectivity. To them, it probably it's it's not this it's not a, the same set of factors. Oh, well, this has been sad. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I. Okay, but here's the limiting factor here, right? At least in the U.S., <laughs> broadband is never going to be widespread and affordable enough for this to be a real thing maybe yeah maybe yeah, so i mean you know unless google comes in with their you know dog-like tanks uh and decides to force comcast and verizon to get off their ass <laughs> i i don't see i got it it's the boston yeah, dynamics i got the boston dynamics yeah. have you seen that thing by the way oh. it's like a giant dog in tank form heather's like, been covering it for uh like a, a couple of years now i guess i don't know in sidebite and so we've been tracking it in sidebite since it was like this really clunky stupid thing till now it's like as fast as an animal and can run on ice yeah. and you can walk up to it and kick it and it you know i think that thing killed me in halo once i'm pretty sure <laughs> It will if it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with Google having a mechanized army. But just, just imagine the integration capability with Google now and Glass. Oh, great. Uh, your friend just died. Why? Well, we shot him. <laughs> Google now is surmised it's time for you to die. die. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, before we get to uh, Dimitri's email, which is a big one, and it's 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 it's, it's a big papa. It's pointed right at you. He like basically says, "Chris, don't even bother." And so. But that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about a great deal. And of course, as the holidays approach, and you, you are, if you're like me, you might end up being the tech guy in your family. And everybody comes to you with questions. Hey, I want a website. Hey, I want to do this. Hey, how come when people Google search me, all they find are my, my pictures on Facebook? Listen, let's get them all set up. Or maybe you. Maybe you're working on a program, an app, a project, whatever it is, and you don't have a lot of time to work on the website. But you want something that looks good, something that looks professional, something that's easy to maintain, something that is low cost, and of course, something that finds uh, or something that the uh, search engines will index and get people finding you. Well, guess what? GoDaddy's got something for you. Coder Radio is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Their website builder makes it easy to create your own website, put your business online. 
and find new customers. You can choose from hundreds of customizable designs, and you are on your way, son. Website Builder even includes a free domain hosting and 24-7 support, y'all. It's go time, so visit GoDaddy.com and use the promo code WSB8. WSB8, Website Builder 8, to get a Website Builder for only $1 per month for 12 months. $1, y'all. Dollar, dollar bill for 12 months. There are some limitations. They got them right there at the top of the website when you check it out. And you can click the banner in our show notes. Go over there and just check out the video, too, if you've, uh, if you've been hearing me talk about this, but you haven't done it yet. Their video is really cool. They've got a new tool. And GoDaddy is in the perfect position where they have the front-end tool set and they have the server provisioning dynamically done on the back-end. The two are integrated perfectly. And then, of course, GoDaddy has a team of folks that are constantly working on the new themes, the SEO standardizations and optimizations, and the mobile version as well. So go over to GoDaddy.com, use the promo code WSB8 to check out, or use the banner in our show notes. There you go. That'll do it, too. And uh, then you'll get that Website builder for which includes the hosting and support for a dollar a month. That's a really good deal and a good one to hand out to friends and family over the holidays too. So a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Now uh, Dimitri wrote in and uh, first of all, I there's no way I could say good morning in Greek. I can't even read it. But it was not. Oh, oh, here we go. He actually provided the pronunciation. Kalimara, Kalimara. You think I got that? Says anyways. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I will go with it. I mean, he's not here to yell at me, so maybe he'll be in the mumble room later. Uh, he says, uh, hi, uh, Mike and Chris. This email is a little bit more for Michael only. Uh, Michael, as I told you on Twitter, whoosh, I recently started a book on the Windows GUI programming. Hmm. After some research, here are my findings. Uh, in order to target Windows, you have to use one of the following. The Win32 API, MFC, which is the Microsoft Foundation classes, WFP, the Windows Presentation Foundation, or WinRT, the Windows Runtime. After some more digging here and some more interesting details, uh, uh, MFC are basically C++ classes that encapsulate the Win32 API. WFP is part of the .NET 3.0 framework, which also encapsulates the Win32 API, but in the managed way the .NET Runtime provides. And then there is the WinRT, which is a reimagined way to create GUI applications. First... Why is Microsoft so heavily reliant on the Win32? Win32 is such an old C API that should have been deprecated so, so long ago. Why keep this legacy API around after so many years? People need to move on. I mean, holy crap! What the F, Microsoft? (laughs) What are all these typed F and custom types? That's so funny. He's all raging on them. Do you have any thoughts on the Win32 APIs and why they keep them around? The old C APIs that should have been deprecated so, so long ago, as he puts it? No? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's a word that begins with the letter L. Is it legacy? Yeah. 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 Microsoft's uh, That's what I was thinking. weakness and strength has always been they do not deprecate things pretty I think- much. I think we decades. are entering the square on, I think we entered the full on, it is um, a disadvantage. And I think you're seeing yeah. it too in like the total lack, at least maybe this is because I'm not watching it too closely, but from the outside, I really don't see any compelling applications on the Windows platform like that, you know, I can't get somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of it is because there's really been no incentive to innovate on the platform. There's been nothing that draws developers' attention and makes them look over there and turn turn that direction and go, oh, that's cool. Right? There's well, no- I, I'm not sure that I would go that far. I mean, a lot of it is they just don't have market share. What? Windows? 
I, I mean Windows RT, if that's what you mean. Oh no, the, no, I mean, win, I mean the Win. Th- I think you know. I just no, I just mean Microsoft's, Microsoft's, um, in, you know, keeping legacy things working so that way. The, oh, you mean Windows as a as a giant mess of everything? Yeah, well, and I think specifically, you know, this keeping Win thirty two for so long and this old API for so long discouraged innovation. Yeah, I mean it's. It, you know, the, the problem that Microsoft's having is by being dominant in the enterprise, they're, they find themselves in this weird position where they have to cater to the enterprise customer, who is by nature incredibly conservative, right? And the enterprise customer would love to run software from 10 years ago and not touch it, ever. Microsoft, it's so funny. Microsoft is a company that has wound up being wholly embraced by the enterprise, right. making really their hay on the enterprise. I don't believe they've ever actually wanted to be an enterprise company. The reason Microsoft got into the NT server space was so that way people would buy more Windows desktops, right? And buy more Office. That's why they got into the server space in the first place. And now you can see it too. You see it in the Xbox. They want to be, you see it with Windows Phone and the tablets. They want to be a consumer company, even though their core competency, despite all their best efforts, is an enterprise company. I think it might be that early IBM fear that they had. Remember that that the competition between them and IBM, and they were were frenemies for a little while, and then they uh, split the again. OS, you mean OS two? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, it's it's weird because it's easy to beat up on Microsoft, but very actually, there's so many things. Yeah, but they make a ton of money and they do really well <clears throat> in enterprise. <It's> <laughs> Well, it, but why is that bad? It's not I, bad, but it's like they it's like they're in they denial about it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The they want to be All right. Well, I'm I'm going to turn to the report, but they want to be Apple, right? I mean, they would like to be a sexy trendy company. I think they have always wanted to be that. What was their first right. big product? It was Office for the Mac. Yeah. They've wanted to be a desktop company for a long time. Um but but the reality of the situation is you know, this enterprise in quotes, problem they have is actually a, in my mind at least, it makes sense. Because what was one of their core strength for years? Business negotiations and sales, right? What was one of their biggest weaknesses? Design. Oh, and they had no hardware department. Right. No vertical integration. Right. So where else were they going to, naturally, the company would just start leaning that way mm-hmm. as this, you know, the business side, the sales side brought in more revenue. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, not to say that Apple's better, but you can't be, in my mind, that kind of company without being vertically integrated. Because it, you know, even thinking back to the Windows Touch stuff, the first like HP slates, the problem they always had doing new things was that their partners weren't that invested. Mm-hmm. You know, Microsoft would spend millions of dollars on R&D, and HP would come out with the crappiest tablet they could possibly think of, right? Mm-hmm. That weighed yeah. 10 pounds. And, and, and it, it doesn't work when one guy's creating the software and one guy's creating the hardware and when it's a it, device Well, it like could that. work it if, could. They were equ- if they were both equally invested. Right, right. But the problem is the, the OEMs have turned their whole business model into basically a race to the bottom on margin, right? That's all they had. Right, so... You know, Microsoft, everybody, or a lot of people attribute their failure to the enterprise. I actually attribute their issues to the MacBook Air, to be honest, and to the OEMs. And I I think they're more of a victim than people think. Um, Because one of the issues is there's really, now they're starting to come out with them, but for a decade, there were no, like, sexy Windows machines. 
everything was kind of boring, kind of cheap, kind of plasticky. And even Apple's plasticky stuff was far nicer. Yeah, and Apple's always been pretty good at every few years, you know, revving the look a little bit to make it visually like, oh, there's a visual reason to upgrade. And that always works with consumers, too. Whereas, you know, everybody called Windows boxes the beige box. Every Lenovo ThinkPad for a long time was just a square. It just looked like a block. Right. And I, mean, a few, I think a it few hurt com- Yeah, a few companies like, uh, you know, unfortunately, Samsung, but also Asus and others are making the turn. But they're still they're still having a hard time with razor thin margins. You I know, think the jury's in on Windows 8, too. I really do. Uh, have you heard about all this talk about Threshold? Yeah, if they bring back the start menu, I think that is a total misplay. So uh, it, it would just go figure. Um, and, of course, it, what it shows you is they are just without a rudder. It is so ridiculous. So the, well, what the it, rumor what it, is – oh, go ahead. No, what it shows you is – you can get your point. Let me just throw this in there. Do you remember the uh, the whole death grip on the iPhone? Death. Oh, oh, yeah. When you held it yeah. wrong, yeah, yeah. So Apple was so pure in their vision, and I know that's a very fan way to spin that. That they said you're holding it wrong, right? And then they gave you bumpers, but they didn't change anything, and they didn't backpedal. They just fixed the issue in the next version. Yeah. Microsoft, you can't be Apple, and I know this is going to come out terrible. But one of Apple's cores is that they kind of don't listen to their customers, right? I think that's a more of a marketing thing. Well, but that's what Apple is. I mean, let's let's be real. The rumor is they actually did like have a revision A to the phone. They did fix it, but they don't. You know, Apple would never come out and publicly say, "Hey, we screwed up." They would just probably like if you came in and really bitched, they'd swap it out with the revised one and wouldn't even tell you. Which is what they did all the time. Yeah. You know, they were that, that was a really interesting thing to watch go down because, man, yeah, they really like Steve Jobs was up on stage. He's like, "All right, fine. If you guys are going to be a bunch of kids." And, I'll you know, you plastic bumper, it, yeah. but it was a problem. That it was a legitimate problem. And by the way, was, one that my HTC Evo at the same has. time had, right? Yeah. My, my Evo. A lot of phones had yeah, that problem, yeah. but because Apple had such market share and, you know. Yeah. The, the issue is, you know, AntennaGate, which I remember was the like. Oh, yeah. Weird, AntennaGate. Yeah, oh, my God. was a real problem. And Apple was clearly wrong. The start menu thing, I think Microsoft is right. And I, I think they've already compromised what Windows 8 was going to be too much. Uh, and the problem is, I'm not saying that everything they did with Windows 8 was a good decision. I'm saying that making a half Frankenstein but reversal how, mm, is worse than just saying, listen, this is the future of Windows. I think there's a disconnect where you're acknowledging that they make a good enterprise company. And then at the same time, you're saying they should get rid of things like the star menu because that's not what... Businesses really have no no desire to retrain their staff on how to launch programs. So I'm saying if they don't want to be an enterprise company, they have to oh, yeah, yeah. stick to their guns. Yeah. Right? But understand that they're going to lose market share in the enterprise. Dell, I mean, come on. Be, let's be honest. Dell is like the Grima worm tongue of the OEMs, right? <laughs> Every time Microsoft does something where Michael does like so canonical. Right, and they, yeah. Then they, and then they dump canonical. Yeah. Like it's hot. Yeah. Which, by the way, Uncle Mark, why don't you give them contracts that are binding instead of these weird weasel out clause? I'm just let's not even go there. But you know what's so embarrassing about it? Well, we shouldn't go there. You're right. Yeah, we shouldn't go there. But there's clearly if one, if there's two parties in a contract and one can break it and the other can't, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, you, so you, so you, I, I do not agree necessarily that them bringing because here's what it is is. 
I think Microsoft could build the. So I think Microsoft is working towards building rebranding, and their branding is going to be Microsoft, the honest company. Microsoft, we listen to our users, and they're already doing the honest company thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but in so it started with the Scroogled stuff, and then they have the Scroogled merchandise, and now they have ads that talk about how uh, Gmail listens to your uh, reads your email. And then they say, you can trust us, honestly. And like at the end of the ad, that's what the Microsoft like text comes up on the screen. And it says, you can trust us, honestly. And I think that is them trying to position themselves against Google as the honest company that listens to their users. And that uh, might work. I don't think it will. I really don't. Because, I, I, you know, we've had a number of honest companies, right? We've had Sun. We had... Um, uh, what was this? What was the name? The, the company Microsoft screwed Intergalactic Research. They had a stupid name. They made CPM. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had so many honest companies fail because that you know, if you can't compete on price, most consumers don't know or don't care how honest you are. Unquotes. Well, and nobody's going to buy it, right? Right. <laughs> Not as long as there's prism slides out there that show Microsoft is the first company that signed up. <laughs> well, to, to be honest, I think Microsoft gets a bad rap. Um, and I think most of Microsoft's problems is because they're an older company in terms of Prism, and they have a lot of their infrastructure in the U.S. that Google oh yeah for sure doesn't, and that is a whole other issue. But I mean, certainly the fact that Google apparently makes zero dollars in the United States is amazing to me. But hmm, I yeah. should that's a good trick. That's a good that's a right. great trick. Why don't we finish out his question? Uh, he yeah, says, I mean, uh, it, what was his question? He had a second part of it. He says, "This is the big question." When it comes to choosing an API, which should I go with? Obviously not Win32 or MFC because MFC seems to be abandoned by Microsoft. So it seems like to me my choices come down to WPF or WinRT. Do you have any thoughts on that? I like WinRT. Um, the problem is WinRT is a little immature and I- I'm mildly concerned that WinRT might not be around for very long. He's wondering, should he even choose the Microsoft route and not choose something like C++ and Qt? Uh, or cute is a point uh, you know uh, is at a point 5.2 that has been published a technical preview for WinRT and the Windows Store application support uh, seems to be getting there is there any practical advantage at using my, the Microsoft stack these days oh well compared com- what's that no I just think that's an interesting you know compared um, Q, well, compared, uh, compared to QT which I will never call Q yeah uh, the editor the layout editor is a lot better a what QT's is no oh okay yeah I was gonna say it seems like Visual Studios yeah, uh, and that's that's one of the areas where all these cross pl- cross platform tools kind of suck because yeah. Glade is still crap and uh, Qt Creator or whatever. Which one's the, or is yeah it Qt, Qt Creator? Designer, yeah, Creator. Yeah, that's getting pretty good though, isn't it? Mm, it's still very old school Springs and Struts Java style. It's uh, I don't like it, but okay. I think I'm also spoiled a little bit by Xcode. Oh, hashtag Objective C. Yes, I would say if you don't care about. Um, you know, if you're not intending to be Microsoft specific anyway, then then look at other options. But also understand that if a, a nice visual appearance is important to you, it's going to be harder on any cross-platform tool uh, than it would be natively. Or quote natively, I understand that Qt could be native too, but hmm. I I don't know. I mean, I like WinRT a lot, but I'm concerned that WinRT might not be around too much yeah. longer. Yeah. Early and one of the issues is. You know, even with Windows 8.1, there are still APIs that exist in C++ and WinRT that don't exist in C Sharp, and vice versa, which is stupid. Um, one thing I think they needed to do was drop the basic and either pick C++ or C Sharp. 
It's like, this is the language. Yeah. Uh, another thing is the C++ you're writing in WinRT is not nearly as nasty as most C++. So if you are a C++ guy, you're going to find it very clean. Uh, having said that, if, if development time is most important, obviously C Sharp is probably the way to go. Um, Dimitri, uh, let us know what you... I, I, yeah. I feel like QT is definitely the way of the future, but I'm obviously pretty biased in that regard because I love the idea of finally well, decent cross-platform applications. If you want it to be cross-platform, I think QT is currently the best option. I do think that there is a a lot of work to be done on the editor. Also, Zane in the chat room is ringing that you have to buy the license. Yeah. I keep forgetting that. Right. That screwed me last time, too. To have a, yeah, It's to have, five grand to get the license. To get a good native cross-platform. To get the proper distribution. Yeah. yeah. But you can't ask people to import packages. I'm sorry, but that's not going to happen. I think QT is going to have a big role on mobile going ahead too, and I think that will push it forward as well. Uh, and it'll just—I uh, think it'll drag the desktop along. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the weakness of QT is that, you know, if you're going to be cross-platform, I'd really like to have a different interface per platform. But I want my editor to be—I want it to be better than Visual, um, Interface Builder or Xcode, basically, or I want it to be just as good. I could, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, see, the problem Microsoft's got that. I mean, they've—they have been working on that for so long now. They have that so dialed in. They have years and years and years of building that tool, right. of taking developer feedback, and then using it themselves internally. Because they, Microsoft makes quite a bit of software, so I don't know. Yeah. Like that, I mean, I, that might be something we you never get to again. Even the XAML editor in Visual Studio is, in my opinion, far better than than what the uh, the Linux side currently has. In Linux, I'm including Qt in that. Yeah, and and, and that. I think is changing, and I think that was a long time. Uh, well, let's get flame baited. The Linux community didn't necessarily care, right? Um, but still, I mean, yeah. Apple's UI editors are are far superior to Microsoft's still. So, yeah. So, uh, okay. okay. Can I recommend Objective C? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure you'll have a good time with that. Good luck, yes. Dimitri. To Objective C. <laughs> I have. I had a topic. I just I don't want to overdo this topic because I have a feeling it's going to be a popular one on the JB network. But I, you and I have talked about the Steambox a couple of times, and they've shipped. I've loaded SteamOS. I've, I've taken a look. Do you have any thoughts you want to share on that? I got a couple. So of, I just listened to last. Uh, all right, one thing. Wait, that hold on. We- I, that was a good tease. Hold your thought right there. We'll get to that right there. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor this week, and that is the amazing folks at Ting.com. Ting is my mobile service provider. It's mobile that makes sense with no contracts, no early termination fees. And you ready for this? You only pay for what you use. You $6 a month for the phone. That's all you need. $6 a month because you own the phone outright. So they're not, they don't have to uh, inflate your payment every single month to cover their cost for the mobile device. That's such a dumb system. And in fact, there was just an article over the weekend, I think it was, that uh, mobile carriers want to get out of subsidized phones completely. I don't know if you saw that, Mike, but that's they said they want to start transitioning people to paying full price for phones. And this is AT&T and Verizon, all the big dogs. They're getting out of the business because it doesn't work. Not only is it a scam up front, but then you're making payments on a device that is quickly becoming more and more irrelevant every single month that you're making that payment. Ting is just rebooting all of it, and it's really awesome. 
They also include hotspot and tethering with your plan. You just pay for the data usage. And Ting has an awesome control panel. I like to mention this on the Coda Radio program because I have a feeling our Coda Radio audience is with me. Like if they got to, if you got to deal with their phone company, that the last thing you want to do is pick up the phone and call them. You don't want to wait on hold. You don't want to have to explain to them what you're trying to get through. Ting solves all of that. First of all, their customer support, a real person answers the phone when you call in. There's not a phone tree you have to go through. They have Canadians on standby ready to help you out. But Real Canadians? Real Canadians. Real ones. And you can find videos of them on their blog. And then, but really, I've actually, I've been using Ting for about a year almost. It'll be in a year and a month. Um, I've never needed to call in because the dashboard does everything. I can set up all the call forwarding stuff, all of the uh, fail to answer stuff. I can activate, deactivate devices, transfer devices, set up billing alerts, anything I might want to do. I have been able to do through the dashboard with a very good UI, very simple, straightforward to use. And I love the fact that the months when I have a little bit more usage, I only just pay then. That's the time I pay. And the months when I don't have a lot of usage, I don't pay into some sort of contract that I don't get any value out of. That's a waste of my money. Not only that, but Ting is always rolling out tons of new devices. They just got a brand new, uh, uh, well, new in terms of Ting. I don't actually know how new this device is. I'll give you a warning. It does have Android 2, but it's got a QWERTY keyboard. If you know somebody who's been dying to have an Android device with a QWERTY keyboard, Ting's got that. They've also got a feature phone. If you go to coderadio.ting.com, you get a $25 discount, and you buy this phone... $63, no contract, no early termination fee, only pay for what you use. And to make it even better, Ting's got an early termination relief program where you can go to ting.com slash ETF and they'll help you get out of your existing contract with your old school mobile provider. All you have to do is grab a Ting device, port your number, and then submit your ETF claim to Ting and they will... Oh, look at that. They got a sale on the red HTC One. Shoot, son. Nice. Anyways, Ting will uh, credit you up to $75 per line that you have to get canceled. That's a fantastic deal. You can get started by going to coderadio.ting.com. They'll take $25 off your first device. Or if you got yourself a device from Sprint and you want to bring it over, check out their site. They got a list of devices they support, and they'll give you a $25 credit on your bill. Average monthly bill is between $21 and about $33 on Ting. So if you get a $25 discount, that'll probably pay for almost your first month entirely. Coderadio.ting.com is where you get started. It's mobile that's finally done right with no BS. I really like Ting. It's a great company, too. So go to Coderadio.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coderadio program. Okay. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought that was a perfect tease. So, uh, yeah, got uh, I got SteamOS loaded uh, in a virtual box. And I think I'm going to reload this machine I have over here with SteamOS. It's not anything that's mind-blowing. But I really like the way they're doing it. Like, I feel like Valve is eating all of their vegetables right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when, when Valve launched Steam, they said that was a 10-year goal to make that the most popular game distribution platform. And I think they've gotten there now. And I think this is the same thing all over again. They've chosen a really solid base of Debian. It's um, conservative, practical, and long-term. They've got uh, an open hardware that is not only do they have all the specs posted online, like down to the CAD drawings, but out of the box, that controller just works with the Linux kernel. You don't have to have SteamOS or even Steam installed. They've just, at, at the kernel level, that, that, that controller works. That's brilliant, I think. In fact, I think basing it on x86 and basing it on components is also really smart. I just saw a headline today that um, somebody was saying that in two years... All we'll be talking about for video games is all of the VR gear that'll be coming out, like the Oculus Rift and stuff like that. And, I, you know, you look at, like, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One, 
they can probably kind of like how they retroactively added connect. They can probably ship some sort of VR device. But just like the Xbox One, the Kinect isn't truly integrated until the next iteration of the console comes out with that device shipped with it. And I wonder if in some respects, the, the current consoles are, were too soon. Like there's nothing, there's nothing really I gotta have about them. And I think if they would have waited till a whole new set of uh, UI paradigm came out, like Oculus Rift, I mean, that could have been something. And now it seems like maybe they've missed the boat. What do you think, sir? Um, I don't know that the consoles have missed the boat. Uh, I guess I don't understand what your argument would be. How could they have missed the boat? Well, so uh, I think, I guess I should have explained it better. I think they're, they're so static. They're so locked down. They're not, so a steam box is like, you know, you can plug in a USB device and if it has, if the Linux kernel supports it, it works, right? Um, You can, you can pull out that GTX 770 and put in a GTX 880 next year or whatever it's going to be and you have the latest graphics. Now I'm not saying everybody's going to do that, but that kind of expandability where you buy it once and then you can add a couple of things to it even when something something that wasn't even envisioned at the creation of the console. Like for example, back up a little bit, Netflix streaming. They were able to retroactively add that because it was software, but if something comes out that's hardware like Oculus Rift, that the Steambox is going to be way more adaptable to that kind of thing. So that's true. Um, I think you still have the initial problem of, you know, if we're talking about peripherals, until they have market share, developers aren't going to be too too enthusiastic about supporting them unless the vendor of that hardware is giving them some sort of um, incentive. Well, people like to make Valve happy. Right. So, And Valve could incentivize through the Steam store with discounts or something like that. Or, or, or placement, right? I mean, there's lots of things Valve could do. It's just a question of would they do it. What I'm actually finding interesting is that, so I kind of dropped the ball on the Steam box. I was very much involved in um, an internal project here at Fingertip. And then I killed it because that's how I roll. What happened to Ubuntu? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, something. Apparently Ubuntu's gone. And <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at this uh, Steam runtime, which yeah. is interesting. Yep. yep that's how they solve that. Actually makes a lot of sense. But I think, the bigger story is that Ubuntu's gone, right? I, you know, thank you, thank you. I've I have been I have been testing the waters on that, and every time I bring it up, people are like, mm, "No," and I'm like, "This okay?" So here, let's back it up like this: If they had launched SteamOS and it was based on Ubuntu, I think that would have been a really big deal for Ubuntu. Well, I, I think the fact that it was going to be and then wasn't is an even bigger deal. Yeah. At some point, there was a course correction, and I, I would love to know what brought that on. I have a, a conspiracy theory, but it's probably crazy. So you think you? So um, I mean, some people would argue. Well, we were maybe Valve was always going to go with Debian, and they just mm-hmm. they just chose Ubuntu because they figured that's what had the most market share, and so it was easiest to target that. I don't think that's true. I don't either. <laughs> I mean, right. that feels. Tell that, me that your theory, because be... I'm wondering where you're coming from on this. Because I, I might. So the, the theory you just put forth um, kind of implies that Valve was operating in bad faith with Canonical, and frankly, I don't think they would do that because they're too big of a company to play people like that. And frankly, Canonicals, why would they do that? Right? Yeah. My guess, and this is. I have no information. No one told me anything. I think it's Ubuntu. 
or I should say Canonical, has made it clear that their focus is mobile. Yeah, I mean, the decision to target Ubuntu was pre-Ubuntu uh, Edge campaign. Right, and maybe it was during the early conversation something that they were doing but wasn't going to be the focus, and perhaps it became clearer inside Valve that Canonical strategy, and I don't know that this is true or not true, is a more mobile-first strategy than Valve is comfortable with. Certainly. Um, and I think, do you, I also think, you know, perhaps they're looking at it and going, you know, after we launched Steam, we saw more people using other distros than we expected. I think they expected sure. to see a lot of Ubuntu and like tiny, you know, percentage dust on other distros. And I think it's been more diverse than they expected. So then cross distro compatibility became a, a, a higher priority. I'm not saying it's the highest, but a higher priority. So they created this uh, runtime environment, which they're calling an experimental Steam runtime, and it's 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 kind of brilliant in a way because they can update this runtime environment uh, through the Steam client, and then games can just be deployed to call to that. And I wonder if they say, gosh, you know, Canonical with the Mirror and Upstart yeah. and and really focusing on mobile, maybe you know those priorities are just too out of sync with what our priorities are. Our priorities um, are more in line with. Uh, greater compatibility and, and sure and we, we want we you know I really wanted to think that this was like a phase right like Ubuntu was in college it was experimenting it did some stuff whatever I uh, feel like it I is feel, go ahead I, I feel like Captain Shuttleworth is ready to go down with the ship on mobile yeah like, I, I feel like he's very which I admire of course I mean someone who's that determined but I mean, they've been doing this for a long time and Mark's got to be looking at it and going you know what? We just are not making money on the desktop. Yeah. And so that's a lost cause. And we're either going to make money doing this or we're going to shut down or we're just going to focus on cloud hosting or whatever it is. Um, and I, I, cause I think if you looked at the story from the reverse, I think, I think you'd have press releases from canonical. You'd have, it would be a very big thing. I think it'd be, it'd be a very proud moment for them. Um, but I don't think it would really change their direction at all. And I think that's the issue. I think, I'm, again, this is just purely guessing. I have a feeling Valve, if they were going to have a corporate par- partner, wanted someone who was invested. Um, and it seems like Ubuntu just didn't care. Right? Canonical just, this was a thing that was happening that was good for a few sound bites. Well, and uh, Cheeseburg uh, brings up a good point. He says uh, Valve needed to, um, Valve made a big deal about not wanting to be locked down to Microsoft, wanting freedom. Why would they ever go with Ubuntu? They were never going to be based on Ubuntu. They were just telling developers to use it because it's the most used. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the early messaging that I was seeing in, you know, in public and in conversations, it was a little more than just use Ubuntu as your dev machine, right? It, it seemed like there was a deeper relationship, or at least there was a planned deeper relationship. Um, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, early on we heard stories about... Valve's working with Canonical and NVIDIA and Intel, yeah. and they're all working together. And there was Canonical employees that they flew down to Valve to work with Valve. Those are all rumors. Uh, I mean, it's possible that, you know, getting NVIDIA and AMD on board is in the interest of both Canonical and Valve, even though they're not pursuing the same thing. That argument could be made, but I, I it still looked like there was more of a close relationship. And don't you think it was kind of interesting, like how it didn't really come out that it was going to be, I mean, so the one thing that everybody latched onto was a, a, a that wasn't even a quote, uh, an Engadget employee heard a Valve employee say it's a custom built deal. 
right. and then they wrote in, in in Gadget's post they wrote it's not based on Ubuntu it's entirely custom which it turns out is not true it's based on Debian and it's not even really entirely custom it's just stripped down uh, and I think it's interesting that they didn't just come out and say no not Ubuntu Debian like why didn't they just say that because they, it's not like they're keeping it a secret now well they, they couldn't have hit it so I, I don't I don't know that there's anything there I think it in all honesty, it's probably they didn't know what they wanted their message to be. So they delayed, but it came out that it was Debian, right? They were pretty big about Ubuntu. Like, Valve yeah, loves that, Ubuntu. It was that, on their that's page. That's the issue, right? That they were, they were buddies. They were, you know, it looked like they were going to be partners for a while. I don't know. I mean, this... The problem is, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter... And maybe that was part of the problem for Canonical is that it was go- it was going to be Steam OS, not Steam Ubuntu. I, what, what matters to me is what I have been moaning and bellyaching about is I feel like um, I have made the point that this is sort of the Linux desktop's time to really get its S together and take advantage of Windows 8. And this is the Vista moment all over again. And what I've been saying is right as the moment of opportunity opened up again, Canonical once again decides to S the bed. Just like last time, they threw out their entire desktop environment right as Vista hit. This time, they're throwing out the desktop. And again, here's the proof that a company, a big company, an important company that could change the game, saw that, saw the Ubuntu island when their ship was sinking and decided to swim to it and then got there and turned out the natives had gone crazy. And I think the problem is is once again, they're hurting desktop on the Linux side adoption all over again. It's it's the Vista scenario where they switch to Unity and it takes them years to get it right. And it's now, with, with as of 12.04, really, as of the 12.04 release gotten fine, but now it's all jacked up with ads. But that, you know, that's not going to stop a company like Valve from switching. So Valve goes over and switches, gets there, and realizes it's a house of cards and that the whole thing's going to be changing out from underneath them. And this is exactly what I've been worried about because Valve could be – there could be a dozen other companies like Valve. They're right. doing – they're thinking about the same exact thing in private behind closed doors in their meetings amongst their tech people that are that will never execute on it because they're watching this clown show. I feel like this – maybe I – it's not – I'm not saying it is a vindication of that fear, but it is a strong indicator that that fear was probably right. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there is a possibility, as Cheeseburg is, is very adamantly saying in the chat, that this could all have just been a, a partnership that was convenient at the time to get NVIDIA on board. But even if that's the case, the, the broader point of, all right, if Canonical is, is deprioritizing, is that the least flame bait way to say this? The desktop, right? Yeah. I mean, the Canonical Where? argument is the, des- des- the desktop is good enough to sort of be on life support for a little while while they refactor and focus. And then they're going to come back to it. Well, the, the problem is it's not, first of all. That, so that's, that's not a valid argument. Yeah, I mean, well, let me hold on a second here. You need a... Uh, exactly. It is not good enough. It is not I mean, good I, enough. I will gladly take a stock Mac with OS X, even a crappy one, and a stock Ubuntu machine that you have done no tweaking on and show you why the Mac is better. Um, Ubuntu came a long way, but Ubuntu... Canonical needs to refine that. They're close. They are. They are much closer. I, I feel than they've like ever been. they are. They they think they're in the good enough category. Right, but when you're losing, good enough isn't good enough. Good enough is good for your Microsoft. And right, eighty nine percent market share. Exactly. Right? You got to be great. When you're when you're losing, you need to be obviously better. Yes. Um. I and I think 
so but just to just to just to play out their rationale their rationale is it's good enough now we can we can we can just put it in orbit around the canonical uh, moon and then right. we will focus in on mobile we'll rewrite we'll write that all stuff up and then we'll take those qt applications and all of that and we'll 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 spin them into desktop versions and then one day we'll have a brand new desktop that has that has blossomed from our mobile efforts pipe dream yeah, I worry about that too. And I think at the same, at, at, and why not? Why not focus in on? I guess I, I guess they're just not seeing enough traction. But it just seems like if you wanna, if you just wanna make that, just make that final push. Take all this energy and all this effort and just make a hell of a push. Just no, make a monster of a desktop the, that the just final rocks. Push they could make is make the Ubuntu development kit and actually have it not suck. Right? Give me a awesome UI editor that's Ubuntu specific. Right. You know, they've already alienated the rest of the Linux community, right? So what the hell? Let's lock it down. Let's let's make some extensions to Ubuntu that are totally non-compatible with Fedora. But instead, we're going to make silly mobile phones that, you know, if someone's going to get in a, a third party in this game, it's going to be Microsoft. It, just, it, it costs too much money to get into the mobile game at this point. If you're not an established player, just the carrier relationships alone are a huge barrier. I don't think they, I mean, they must not have intentions of being an actual direct player, right? They have intentions of being the supplier. Yeah, I think they have an intention of being like the free OS of maybe Europe. But even then, you know, Windows Phone is gaining lots of market share in Europe um, relative to the other parties, well, isn't right? that just the same OEM game that we just watched Microsoft play out through the desktop? And Microsoft is now considering the rumor, I'm sure you've heard this, of making Windows Phone free for the OEMs. Mm-hmm. So if they do that, and if Canonical's issue was they make no money, is Ubuntu OS going to be free? Well, the code's open, right? So, right, so how, how are we monetizing this at all? If we don't sell the phone... If we if we don't license the software, well, let's play this out a little bit. The way you make money uh, in this environment is you sell directly to carriers. But what you're not selling is the software. You're selling the services to modify the software to integrate their app store, integrate their music store, integrate you know whatever sports deal that carrier has with the NFL, right? All that stuff and customize it up, theme it to meet mat, to 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 match the carrier's uh, branding. The problem I have so with that, contract development work for hire. Basically. And essentially, doesn't that if if that's successful, doesn't that then always mandate resources being taken from the desktop to focus on those types of arrangements and agreements? Oh, hey, we just signed a major carrier in uh, in China, so we need to get all hands on deck to work on these things because we have a six month deadline. It, it, exactly, and it's even stranger. The thing is, I always wanted them to make money. <laughs> you know, I I was even in that should I say this, that very unpopular camp of saying, is there a way that they could kind of get around the GPL? (laughs) They don't even need to, though. Right. Well, no, but even for the desktop, right? Can we break compatibility? Like, is that something we can do Um, and not release the source and then start charging for Ubuntu? Because for years, my my position was always, how does this company stay alive? Well, right now it's through, I I believe, support contracts. Right. And other things. So they're not as big as Red Hat, Red Hat, basically. Right. 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 Well, they tried the Red Hat game. And, and lost. And, well, 
Well, they do okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're there. They're, yeah. they're a small player. My, my understanding is if they trimmed off like a lot of the desktop stuff and other things, they they'd would be, be profitable. They'd be profitable. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know anything about it for real. But I mean, that's just what I've heard. And I, I, I that sounds right. You know, I mean, we've, you know, you've seen Ubuntu has just massive deployment now. In, in sure. I mean, I, it's what we deploy almost exclusively on the server. But yeah. I mean, other than, of course, our love for Windows Azure. Oh, uh, this is what always has bothered me. Is so right now is it? It seems like it seems it almost seems absolutely insane on its face to be in the game for so long and work on right. something for so long, and then call it. Right as you're in the home stretch, that seems crazy to me. First of all, so that's always bothered me. But then, when I look at it from a long-term playout, I still don't see it playing out in a sense where Ubuntu remains a really great, relevant desktop. It always seems well, like, at best, it will be tertiary to the mobile effort. I mean, I guess this is back to the Microsoft problem. What would be so hard for Canonical to say we are a enterprise server company? We are going to trim the fat, not necessarily get rid of people, but repurpose people, right? To focus on our enterprise server offerings. Are remember they did have that strong partnership for a while with Amazon for uh, EC2 and AWS. Um, I I thought they had a deal with Microsoft, but I, I think they screwed that up, or I think it went away for Azure. Because um, I know Microsoft was at first pushing Ubuntu if mm. you wanted to do a virtual machine, but now I think they offer just about everything, which yeah. was a mistake on Canonical's part. They should have tried to figure out how to make that deal, make that exclusive. I think I think all that was was uh, they were there first because I I believe that was just sort Is of that all it was. It was just timing. Yeah, and and that okay. actually kind of shows you their strength there. So getting on Azure and getting on AWS, they beat the other guys, and sure. this is something that canonical doesn't get a lot of recognition for is this is an area they're actually pretty good at and well, i i think they're maybe- good at partnerships that's what i'm saying their strength mark work was obviously a brilliant businessman you know why can't canonical partner with docker inc and say we want to be the premier base for docker right so when you start using docker we want people to think ubuntu before they think anything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have it like a package deal um which which you know some some services are already offering, right? You could spin up an Ubuntu Docker thing on DigitalOcean already. Yep. Speaking of which, right. we should thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode. Uh, that was nice, dude. That was smooth. Uh, I I keep coming up with new uses for uh, my DigitalOcean droplet. Now, DigitalOcean, do you know about this? It's simple cloud hosting, and man, is it slick. DigitalOcean is dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at only $5 per month. For 512 megs of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Yeah, a terabyte of transfer. That's you would be surprised how long that'll last. DigitalOcean has data centers in location, uh, data, <laughs> data centers in New York, San Francisco. They got two in New York actually, and Amsterdam. Interface is straight up simple and intuitive, but very powerful. Power users can replicate on a large scale, and they have a very straightforward API to interact with all of that. I back up my VM, I replicate my VM. I got an Archbox up there, man. I get that thing all dialed in. Boom, create an image snapshot of it. And next time I need an Archbox, kapow, I deploy right away. Listeners of Coda Radio, we can get you a deal, though. Go, listen, listen, go try this out. You, I, I wasn't sure like if I needed a server up in the cloud that I could just throw stuff on. And now that I have it, I cannot, I cannot believe I didn't do this earlier. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the checkout code Coder Radio December, all one word, Coder Radio December. You'll get a $10 credit. And if you get the $5 a month box like I have, that'll get you two months. 
and that's a pretty good deal. And you can really try it out and see what it does for you. Digital Ocean also offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site. And to make it even better, users can submit articles to the community and get paid up to $50 per published piece. We got a link to that in the show notes. I got BitTorrent Sync up there, and I'm thinking about adding uh, a couple of other things. Have you heard of, uh, I think it's called pronounced Yacy? This is like a, it's like a roll your own search engine. And I was thinking maybe I'd just throw that up there and, you know, see what it's like. I was also thinking about using Everpad, putting that up there. You know, and then I have an online note scratch, uh, scratch place that kind of replaces Google Docs. Their pricing is fabulous. Each rate is another. Uh, so you got the $5 and then the $10 and then the $20. See, it's very simple. It's $10, $10, $10, $10, and so on. Uh, and you can get up to two two terabytes, and you go to three terabytes, four terabytes, and even five terabytes of transfer. But what's even cooler for you developers who need to do a little testing is they have pay-as-you-go pricing. Yeah, that's right. Pay-as-you-go. And if you ever went over that uh, one terabyte transfer, additional transfer is only two cents. Two cents per gigabyte. I don't know if any of you ever looked at the pricing of CDNs and data transfer, but that's a really good deal. And those fast SSDs combined with that amazing internet connection they have it really rocks. And for you uh, Linux heads, KVM on the back end, it's really cool. It's super fast. You got to go check it out. So go over to digitalocean.com, use the promo code CODERRADIODECEMBER, and just play around. Go check out their um, uh, control panel. You just set up a machine, go create yourself a droplet. You can try it out for two months for free. It's pretty cool. Um, in fact, if I, you know, I could show you mine right now, actually. Um, this DigitalOcean uh, control panel, let me log in here because I think it... Uh, yeah, it does. There's my, uh, I called it Europa because, well, it's a moon of Jupiter. You get it? You see what I did there? Isn't that funny? That's good, right? Funny. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so here, I'll show you the uh, how you create an image. Right here, you go create. It's one little, one button, one button to get into the create area. And then once you're in there, wait for it, go in there. That's, there's my server right there. Sorry, I don't have it up because it has all my info on it. But now I have it up. Uh, so it, you go in here, put the host name in there like Coder Radio. And, uh, of course, don't put a slash in it. And let's say maybe uh, Coder Radio is going to go big dog. So I'm going to get two CPUs, and a 40 gigabyte SSD, and thir- three terabytes of transfer. And I'm going to put this sucker in Amsterdam. And because we've been uh, loving on Ubuntu so much, I got a lot of options. I can choose Ubuntu 13.10 if I want to go with something current, or 12.04 if I want to go with the long-term support. Or maybe, just maybe, I like myself a little Ubuntu 12.10 or 10.04. They got all of it right there. You choose what you want. You can set up private networking or public networking. Or maybe you want to go CentOS because you're one of them guys. I understand. You're out there. Or maybe... You want to go build your own SteamOS and do a Debian deployment. They got that too. And Fedora as well. It's pretty awesome. You can also do application-specific deployments like Ruby, Redmine, Doku, GitLab, Docker, of course, Ghost, all these cool LAMP stack just on 1204, deploy it, boom, it's good to go. It's pretty nice. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERADIODECEMBER and a big old thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. I had a book I was going to mention. You know, we've been doing these book picks and I got one that's a little I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if you could technically classify it as positive, but it, it left me feeling good. It, in fact, it leaves me feeling so good that I actually listened to it a second time. Is that a pretty good tease or what? Do it. It's called The Next 100 Years of Forecast for the 21st Century. I haven't picked this one, right? No, I don't think you have. This is this guy. Uh, he's uh, his his uh, his name is George Friedman. And I'll start playing a little bit here. You're right then certainly Europe's fate had been decided for a century. Germany would dominate Europe and inherit its empire. Imagine now the summer of 1960. Germany had been crushed in the war, defeated less than five years later. 
Europe was occupied, split down the middle by the United States and the Soviet Union. The European empires were collapsing, and the United States and Soviet Union were competing over who would be their heir. The United States had the Soviet Union surrounded and, with an overwhelming arsenal of nuclear weapons, could annihilate it in hours. The United States had emerged as the global superpower. It dominated all of the world's oceans, and with its nuclear force could dictate terms to anyone in the world. Stalemate was the best the Soviets could hope for, unless the Soviets invaded Germany and conquered Europe. That was the war everyone was preparing for. It's a very, I don't know, I don't know if, I, so here's, here's what's interesting about it. Uh, George Friedman is the founder of Stratford, and he became uh, the leading expert in global forecasting and, and has followed global politics for years and has written a lot of books on it. Uh, and he uh, turns his eye to the future and kind of forecasts the next hundred years. And he uses really, he, he, he goes back and finds interesting examples in history, pulls those forwards and extrapolates there. But he also looks at things like supply and the economics of, of, of things uh, and also like uh, our global interest in the United States. It does end up being very U.S. heavy uh, because, you know, the guys from Stratford. Uh, but it was a fascinating look at certain things I'd never considered like um, – you know, the fact that the U.S. is surrounded by water and how that plays into our uh, our security and all these kinds of things that, uh, for me, was just really fascinating to kind of think through. I, you know, who knows, right? You're looking, in, you're looking into a crystal ball. However, I will say this. Written in 2009, and I listened to it back then, and I just recently re-listened to it uh, about a month ago, and some of the stuff he called in the short term has turned out. And that was pretty wild listening to that. As, um, basically, he called the whole Obama thing. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I just uh, so I just picked it up on Audible as you've been talking because it sounded good. Yeah, he. Uh, so what do you mean he, he was, called Obama? He, he's you know uh, he called that uh, that because uh, he started writing this before Obama was elected, right? And right. he called it you know there would be a there would be a president that would come in that would be championed as a bringer of change and that everybody would be super excited. Um, but then because of just the the political structure in the United States at this time, and he has like a. He has like a window of time where he thinks that's going to change. And he even gives a, like a couple of it could happen in this presidential election or the, or this presidential election. But basically what he says is, you know, it, there's so much momentum in a certain direction that no one man will be able to change it. And everybody will be disappointed that he didn't follow through on everything he wanted. And it's going to take a couple. Of, and he, he lays out what it would take to actually have some of this change happen and when it would likely happen. And he talks about, you know, um, potential economic troubles that the U.S. could be moving into and, and how that would play out and things like that. It's fascinating. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, you can go grab it. There's, it's on Amazon or Audible. Oh, you had a book. I didn't see that you had a book pick. I'm sorry. I did. So it's kind of along the same lines. It's okay. uh, called Predator Nation. Um, so the subtitle is um, Corporate Criminals, Corruption in the U.S. Beautiful. Mm. And it's all about the financial crisis. I just finished listening to it on Audible as well uh, oh. last week. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the most uplifting book. Mine, actually, if you're an American, is uplifting. If you're outside the U.S., my, my book pick might be a bit of a downer. <laughs> my book is the exact opposite. Okay. Exact. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so mine is the other point of view, basically. That Predator Nation, huh? The uh, uh, came out, uh, I'm looking for the year, I don't see it, but I think I'll get the Audible version, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, finance has become America's dominant industry, while manufacturing, even for high-tech technology industries, has nearly disappeared. Financial in, uh, sector has become increasingly criminalized with widespread fraud. Yep. 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 Okay. 
Yep. Federal tax collections as a share of GDP are their lowest in, in level in 60 years, with the wealthy, highly profitable corporations enjoying the greatest tax reductions. <coughs> Google. <coughs> oh. uh, hmm. Interesting. Predator. You know what? I'm going to grab that. I'm going to get that. Good pick. All right. So we got two picks for you this week. Two picks. And we're going to have more picks for you next week, too, because you know why? We can't stop picking. I just not picking, but... It, well, not our noses, though. We can, we're can. we not picking our noses. It just felt like the thing to do as the holiday approaches. Sometimes people have a little bit of extra time. A lot of shows, they wuss out, and they just don't do shows. Not Coda Radio. No, Coda Radio is here to represent. We're doing shows. Uh, but even still, you might have a little extra time on your hands, so you can go over there and uh, grab some books. Mr. Dominic, right. is there anything else we want to cover before we run this week? No, I think we have to run. All right, let's do it. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. Now, we won't be live next Monday, but you can usually catch us live on a Monday over at jblive.tv, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Where should people find you throughout the week, Mr. Dominic? They can find me uh, at Dumanuko on Twitter. How? Look at that. You can also find me on Twitter, Chris L-A-S. And I'd uh, love to see you over there. And great way to get a hold of me because that 140 character restriction. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode uh, of Coda nice. Radio. I know I'm, I'm evil like that. Uh, you can email us, CodaRadio at JupiterBroadcasting.com or pop that contact link at the top of our website. We'd love to hear from you because we just went through our feedback. We need more. All right, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week.